Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. Now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so kindly for hanging out and sharing a little time with me, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience Thank you to everybody out there listening right now, including you, wherever you got your headphones on, whatever you're doing out in the world. I'm happy to be a part of your day, your hour, your minute, whatever the case is. I got a fantastic interview I am so excited to share with you today. We cover a variety of topics around vulnerability out on the road and change and what it's like when you're identity as a traveler or as an adventurer is stripped away because your life has changed so much. All of these questions, a lot of lessons that I think can apply to any traveler coming off the road or just changing your life around. And whether you've traveled a lot or you're maybe getting ready to take your first trip, at some point, this is all of us as travelers, right? We come home or we come to our next home after a trip and we have to figure out how we fit in to this new life. And especially if you're slipping into sort of an quote unquote ordinary life, you get a, a regular job, you have a place to live, and all of a sudden you're not doing the nomad thing anymore. You're not out on the road for months on end. Well, how do you cope with that? How do you deal? How does that change you as a person? And how can you find peace with stillness? And peace in not moving, because so many of us as travelers, as people who love travel, find peace in that movement and in changing our destinations, our surroundings, the people that we're around. There's an excitement to that. And when you take that away, it can be challenging. I've experienced this in my own life uh, as somebody who traveled for a long time and then moved to another country. And just getting settled back down after traveling for so long was a process. So we cover a lot of these topics and more in today's show. You're going to love it. And I also have a quote at the end of the show after the interview from my guest, which is a great one to fire you up for your next adventure. Plus, a shout out to somebody in the Zero to Travel global listening community. Thank you, by the way, again, for listening. This is a community-powered show and anytime you want to reach out and let me know what topics you want me to cover, Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. If you haven't signed up over at ZeroToTravel.com, what are you waiting for, my friends? You're missing all sorts of goodies happening off the podcast. You really are. I'm telling you, you really are. So uh, sign up if you haven't done that. You can hit pause and do it now, unless you're driving, in which case do not hit pause and sign up for something. Focus on the road, my friends, or if you're doing something else, maybe you're tricycling or tuk-tuking. Uh, who knows what you're doing? Anyway, I had one more announcement before this interview. It is summer 2019 at the time of this recording, and I've been running this podcast for over five years, and I love it, and I love that you are a part of it. I do want to let you know, though, I am going to cut down to every other week 
this summer, publishing a podcast every other week starting in June. So I can focus on some writing, focus on being with my family this summer and some other things I have going on. And I hope you understand. You're still going to get new podcasts. You're just going to get them every other week instead of every week for this summer starting in June. So I just want to unplug a little bit, kind of reconnect to the city here in Oslo, Norway, since I've been away, get out into the city and do some things in real life and kind of work on some other projects and develop some other projects and give myself space to do that. So I hope that's cool and we're cool. Stay subscribed. I'm still giving you episodes every other week, so no worries there. And thank you again. Okay, let's slip and slide into this interview and I will see you on the other side, my friends. Yeah, well, I just started recording here because why not? We're sitting yeah, why here. Not? We were just commenting on your lovely shed, which does look like it's got the vibe of an adventurer's shed, if you will, right? Like an explorer's shed. You got the travel books in the background, and I uh, see something, maybe some, some kind of leather chair yeah, type I've got a leather situation. Chair editing my books. I've got a large globe, which actually is a secret holder of whiskey. Oh, nice. Uh, Perfect. We, we were talking about the uh, post of myself in the background, which is. <laughs> Slightly weird vanity, but nothing beats a, a cushion of yourself. <laughs> now I'm fully jealous. <laughs> yeah. Which some some very kind person from Saudi Arabia sent me a cushion of myself. That's awesome. What does that say on the back? It says, see the opportunities for adventures, not the constraints that get in the way. Nice. Oh, he came to he uh, the person uh, came to a talk that I gave in Saudi Arabia and enjoyed the talk and sent me a cushion with my face on it. That's a that's awesome. a beautiful gift, man. It's so cool when people do stuff like that. I should kind of do a little bit of an intro here, and I'm talking with Alistair Humphreys, who's my guest today. He's the author of 11 books about adventure and living adventurously, and we're going to talk about his latest book, My Midsummer Morning: Rediscovering a Life of Adventure. Which, man, like, um. Not just saying this because you're staring at me on a Skype call, but I got the book right here. I got it 36 hours ago, I would say, and I finished it about oh, wow. two hours ago. It's called My Midsummer Morning, again, Rediscovering Life of Adventure. This resonated with me on so many levels, and this is one of the best travel books I've ever read. And part of that might be because I'm in my 40s. I have two kids. I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying in this book, which we're going to unpack today. Also, just beautiful writing, man. Like, you write the hell out of this book. I got to tell oh, you. Thank you. Uh, you are, you're probably, I'd say, one of the first two, three, four, five people in the universe to read this book. So, <laughs> nice. so that's uh, great to hear someone likes it. That's, uh, that's always the massive nervous thing of publishing a book especially a book like this which is very honest books i've been quite nervous about putting it out into the world yeah i was going to ask you about that i mean we're going to get into that but how do you do that as a writer i mean do you worry about oh maybe my wife's going to read this line and she's going to be upset or these people are going to think that i'm talking about them and they're going to take it the wrong way i mean do you think about that kind of stuff when you're writing you just try to block it all out and be true to the story I think very much about that. So, um, you know, generally the writing I do is generally saying nice things about nice people. It's not, I'm not really in the, I'm not, I'm not writing a politician's book, for example. So generally, generally I'm saying nice things. Uh, but this, this book did have a lot about my uh, relationship with my wife and my becoming a dad and the struggles I had with that and family life and a lot of stuff that's really quite personal and which I've never shared before. So I definitely, uh, checked with my wife that she was happy for that to go out into the world before before I did so um, and it's I'm quite nervous about it um, there's a lot of people who are really close to me in life including say my mum and dad who don't know half the stuff that is now being published in this book so it's quite it's quite a change of policy for me it's one of the reasons why I loved it so much is just the brutal honesty and 
being so transparent with the struggles that you've had leading up to this trip. And, you know, on the outside, somebody might see your life and think, okay, you know, this guy, I mean, he gets paid to go on adventures. He's cycled around the world. He's walked across Southern India. He's rode across the Atlantic Ocean. He gets to inspire people. He's got a cushion of himself. He's got a cushion of himself with an awesome quote on it that he said. I mean, <laughs> it's like this, this guy's got it all. And yet there, there was a lot of struggle for you. And just quoting the book here, I mean, it sounds like you recognized before this trip, you said uh, you'd not been happy in years. And I-, I was really surprised at the direction this book took. And I had no idea it was going to be this type of book and so personal. And I was very pleased for that. But I want to get into it because there is so much around this in terms of um, people that have spent a lot of time in their life traveling and being on the road. And again, I can really relate to this. And having that sort of I mean, I might call it like an identity crisis of like, okay, well, if I'm not traveling all the time, if I'm not doing these adventures and I'm settling into this family life, am I losing a part of me? Do I just cut that off? Do I stay open to that? Can you just kind of give people an idea of what some of the things were that you're going through? I have it all in my head because I read the book, but I would love to hear it in your words. Okay. So I suppose the, the background is that I spent most of my 20s and chunk of my 30s just living in what for me felt like the dream life traveling around the world um, going on big hard crazy wild adventures and gradually getting to the point where I was getting paid to do this sort of stuff earning my living out of adventure building up a reputation within the little niche of adventure travel as being someone who is making a career out of doing this stuff and writing a book and I was just loving it and I was a wild vagabond zooming all over the place and it was brilliant so that that's the important background because then the next step is that I became a dad uh, my wife and I we had two kids and uh, and I'm delighted by that in many ways there's all the great stuff of parenting um, I'm more or less these days a sort of stay-at-home dad so I'm really doing my best to be a full-on devoted modern 21st century dad and I feel that's the right thing to do and a rewarding thing to do and a satisfying thing to do but it's not the easy thing to do the uh, real conflict for me came with my identity was adventure guy and suddenly I was supposed to be stay-at-home dad and whereas a couple of years earlier if I'd gone off to row across an ocean people had said oh well done Al you're living your dreams you're making the most of your life and your potential this is a great way to live your life jump forward a couple of years you have a kid and you go and row an ocean and suddenly everyone says you're a selfish um whatever <laughs> so um and and not only people saying that me feeling it too me thinking how can I be a good dad and go and row an ocean this is insane am I a total idiot so I felt a real clash of who I used to be who I was now and had no idea who I was to become and I I found that quite a hard issue to deal with for quite a number of years as you talked about in the book you were pretty clear with your choice at the time and pretty confident in your choice to get married and wanting to have a family but then as it can happen with travelers there's like this push and pull with the road right because you don't exactly know how you're going to handle being off the road or away from travel until you're faced with it. So, I mean, what were some of the, I guess, if you could just give us a little insight into some of the real hard struggles for you making that adjustment. The three main feelings I think were frustration, resentment, and regret. And I'd spent years desperately trying to fill my life as full as I possibly could with travel and adventure. And to to be not doing that for years and seeing those years pass with that adventure, I felt regret at those passing years. Of course, at the same time, I was feeling reward and fulfillment about my kids. But but we're talking about the travel side of things today. The frustration came from small kids are pretty boring, I find. Well, from pre-dawn until whenever they go to sleep at night and that routine of very small babies – I'm too hyperactive for that. I really felt that that was an obligation rather than much of a joy. I really struggled with babies. My kids are older now. They're nine and seven. They're good fun. We've been climbing a tree this afternoon. So I'm really, really enjoying this phase. But little babies I found pretty boring. And therefore, resentment comes because I'm thinking, ah, I want to be doing something in my life. Therefore, I blame. And I couldn't blame my kids because they're blameless. They're just little babies. So in, in the end, I end up blaming 
my wife just because she was the easy target, which is not a decent or kind thing to do. So I think they were the uh, the struggles that I was going through in those years. I mean, it sounds like this kind of peaked for you in a moment on top of a hill with a bike. <laughs> there might have been a bike thrown into a, a bush or something. And I, it just talk to me about the genesis of this trip. Like when did this trip sort of become the thing? And I'm talking about the trip that you've based the new book on. How did that evolve as, as a thing? And I want, I want you to fill people in on what it actually was that you did. Okay. Yeah. We haven't actually mentioned that yet. Um, so one, one thing I should, I think I'll say before that is so during these years of conflict between trying to do one thing and feeling someone else, the, the main thing that really came to, get me through all of that was the, an idea that I came to call micro adventures which is looking accepting okay I can't go cycle around the world anymore I can't walk across India anymore I can't row an ocean anymore but what can I still do there must be opportunities not just constraints um, and so I started trying to find small short local cheap things that I could do close to where I lived you know, swimming in local rivers and sleeping on local hills and and um and I called that idea a micro adventure. Um, and that was a huge personal help to me trying to get out some of my energy and my um, and my desire to be out in the wilderness, but still get home in time to take the kids to school. So the micro adventures was a great thing in these years. And then gradually as as uh, our kids got bigger and I started to get more used to the whole thing and we saw, we got to a point where things were pretty good really but I started to then think I need to be showing my kids what an adventurous life is I don't want to be just telling them oh you should go do adventures I want to be showing them how I try to fill my life as full as I can to be curious and wild and bold they're the three things I was trying to encourage them to be so in my own haphazard way I thought I thought I wanted to do something to demonstrate this to them so, and then there's one more thing I need to say before the explaining the trip, which is that by now I'd been going on big adventures for about 20 years, big hard expeditions, and doing them for all the reasons people do adventures: to the fear of failure, the risk, the excitement, the uncertainty, the not knowing what's going to happen. But by doing these things for 20 years, I've now got pretty good at them. And if you do anything for 20 years, you get pretty good at it, and you end up just in a cruising along in a comfort zone, whether you're middle management in your office whether you've been a hipster or a goth for 20 years or an adventurer for 20 years you're 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 just in a comfort zone so I wanted to try and get out of that and shake things up and find a way to get back the fear and excitement and risk and uncertainty in my life and gosh this is a convoluted explanation but I think we're getting there my favorite travel book that I'd been reading ever since I was a student at university. It was called As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning about a young English guy who walked through Spain in the 1930s playing his violin. And it's a beautiful book. For 15 years, I've been thinking, I'd love to go do that trip, but I can't play the violin or any instrument. And actually performing or music or karaoke or dancing, these are my biggest fears. I hate doing that sort of stuff. So eventually I came to the realization that if I want to live adventurously I shouldn't go and cycle to China because I know I can do that if I want to live adventurously I should go buy a violin so I had a few months of violin lessons not nearly enough and I turned up in Spain very 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 bad at the violin um, and tried to walk with no money no credit card no backup system for a month to try and follow the route of this old book as far as Madrid and busking, busking along yeah, the way. And so busking, playing my violin in order <laughs> to earn the money I needed to live. So day one, I emptied out the final coins from my pocket and I walked out into Spain with no money and a month to cover with only my violin playing to, to pay the way. And I, I must emphasize I'm really, really bad. I know when, when musicians say they're bad, they're usually being modest, but I am 
really bad. Um, <laughs> there's proof on the internet of quite how bad I am. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't know what we were going to talk about actually when we first started trading emails for the interview. Uh, and you said, oh, you haven't been on the podcast for years. I'm like, well, yeah, you're coming on because we had a great time chatting last time. And we did talk about micro adventures and you guys can listen to that interview in the archives. You sent me a video or as a short film, I guess I would say, that you made. And I mean, the reality of this... Okay, so I bought a guitar when I was... It was like 20 years ago. And I've played pretty fairly regularly on and off. Not all the time when I was traveling, but... And still, like, my biggest fear would be playing on the street in front of people. And I've been playing for a while. Now, you picked up a violin, and you had, I think, like seven months or something to learn. And I'm thinking... Oh, this is going to be interesting because I know how I feel, like the anxiety I feel even just thinking about going on the street and playing the guitar in front of people when I have played and can play songs and even write my own songs. is still like one of those things that I'm super, yeah, just really, it's like a personal hobby that I just keep to myself. And you're out there <laughs> doing it. I was like, this is unbelievable. When I first heard you hit those first strings, I'm like, how did you feel Talk about vulnerability, which is a topic that comes up in this book, and a big theme, I would say, that's a thread throughout the book. Describe that first feeling of being in that first plaza in Spain with your violin and hitting <laughs> those first notes. Um, it's funny. When I do, I do talks about my adventures, and I talk about something like rowing the Atlantic, and the audience is generally um, politely interested. I would say. And then I mentioned the idea of standing up in public to play music and suddenly the audience is with you and engaged because I think so many of us feel this ridiculous terror. It's like being at junior school, at elementary school all over again and being shamed in front of the class. Um, so when I started to play that first morning, I, I put it off for hours. I was procrastinating, but I knew I had to do it because I had no money. I had no money and no way of getting any money for a month. So I had, I forced myself to do it. And I realized that, that first morning that I was, the last time I'd felt that afraid was the day I set off to row across the Atlantic Ocean. And I find that fast, that comparison fascinating because rowing the Atlantic's a scary thing to do. It's sharks and tornadoes and stuff what I was scared of here was well the vulnerability that we've been talking about so when I just started to play and my playing is pretty much <laughs> is that kind of standard well that's why I saw the video that's when the reality yeah. hit I was like oh oh man like oh this is ballsy <laughs> yeah. yeah hopefully maybe we can get some audio for your podcast Hey, I just wanted to cut away from this interview for a second so you could check out this short clip from Alistair's film and you can really get a sense of his violin playing. And here is this clip from him playing for the first time as a busker in a village on his walk through Spain. I'm feeling like an absolute idiot right now. I can procrastinate no longer. There you go. Now back to my conversation with Alistair. It was kind of terrifying and kind of hilarious at the same time, which is a, a position that I like to be in life. I love that fear, the uncertainty, the ah, but also being able to just laugh at myself. And I think that's something I've always enjoyed about adventures is the often it's a choice of I'm going to cry or I'm going to laugh. And I quite enjoy being in that position. And day one in Spain was definitely on the borderline of tears and laughter because it was terrifying. But I had to, from a distance, I could see this is hilarious. This yeah, is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you have to kind of detach in a way, right? Because you're, I mean, if you, if you think about it too much, it's going become too overwhelming. It's so hard to to stand there and do it. But like the reality of that must've hit so hard when you read a travel book, like the one you mentioned by Lori Lee, and you can romanticize these ideas. And then there's the reality of, Oh, now I am opening up a violin case and I'm super hot. Cause it's Spain. And it's probably like freaking hot out and I don't really know how to play. And now I'm going to play in front of these people and hope they give me money. <laughs> yeah. One of the, um, one of the joys that I'm sure any of your listeners who've traveled uh, much in the world will know is just how 
kind the planet generally is. So I've I've had enough experience of the world to know that by and large people are good and kind and generous. But I had no idea how total strangers would respond to someone turning up in their town and just being an idiot, playing so badly. Why would anyone give me money for this, except perhaps to pay me to shut up? Um, I was really curious about what the response would be. And it was very interesting. People, Most people ignored me. That was the general response, which I suppose is normal for a busker. Some people sort of wrinkle their noses and frown a bit. Uh, some people looked surprised and some people laughed. And I love the people that laughed because I was on my own on this trip but it was a, it needed to be a very social exercise. The only way I could make it was by kind people who I did not know helping me in some way by paying me for my beautiful violin music. So it was the journey I've done where, that most depended upon me interacting socially with people, even though that was usually just in the five seconds of eye contact as they walked down the street. Yeah, um, yeah and that, that was the, a really interesting part of the trip. How did you find that compared to a physical challenge? Um, I'm, I think my nature, I'm a bit shy and introverted by nature. So I would find it, if I had to choose between running up a mountain in a snowstorm or um, going into a pub and saying, excuse me, everyone, can you all listen while I tell you a story? I would definitely choose the former. So um it was it's a challenge for me to engage with people i'm not i'm not super introverted but i find it a bit difficult but having said that i also love it and i thrive off it and once i start talking to people i do it well i think so it was something that i was daunted by but the violin was a great opener for conversation so um i i always had the violin strapped to the outside of my pack um partly because it didn't fit in but also partly to just show to the world hey look I've got a violin on my backpack. I'm an interesting person. <laughs> Let's right. have a conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to connect with locals. And I'm sure particularly going to these villages. And, you know, like you said, it's a two-way street there. You're not just doing a, your own endurance challenge or whatever. You're part of this organism that is the world. And they have to help you get by. And for a trip like this, okay, you have no money. You're busking your way through Spain, walking, I think you walked around 500 miles, right? It was a, just about a month long. Is that correct? Yeah. How long does it take to get into the rhythm of a journey like that? I mean, do any of these adventures, do you think, do you have like a period of days where it's just, you're, you're kind of acclimating or do you just kind of like, all right, I'm in it now. Here we go. <laughs> um, I think there's a very steep learning curve. The first 24, 48 hours I'm lucky. I've you know, I've done lots of long walks and lots of camping trips. So the prospect of having to walk 500 miles through the mountains and sleeping outdoors every night because I couldn't afford a hotel ever, cooking on a fire, swimming and washing in a river, all of that is very normal for me. So that side of the trip was actually very easy. That was all me being in my comfort zone. And, and that's where I'm comfortable and I'm good at that sort of stuff. So it took me a couple of days to get used, to, you know, get used to the heavy pack. My legs are hurting, and get used to the heat of Spain. But really, the the um, the things I had to learn on this trip and learn fast was um, the art of busking. So, knowing where to position yourself and which street corners and what time of day and which kind of people to try and get eye contact with and which sort of people wouldn't give you money. Uh, so the skills of the uh, the musician's art which had never crossed my mind in all of my life uh that was that was the the big learning experience for me it seemed like this was definitely um a trip that you had an intention beforehand to kind of look at some of the things in your life and and figure some things out was that is that fair to say yeah i went to the, i started this trip because well I, as we talked about i've been struggling but i kind of felt i was heading towards getting fixed so this was a good chance for me to go away in a more positive frame of mind than I'd been for quite a few years and to just um well like you know if you look at an oil painting you need to step back a little bit to figure it out and the same thing in my life to look at my life I need to either turn off my phone and go sleep on a local hill for a night or I need to go walk 500 miles through Spain but it was a it was one of the things I was trying to do was to say goodbye to my former adventure life, to 
accept that I'd spent 20 years doing big, tough, difficult adventures and that rather than yearning for ever more of them, perhaps what I should do is say, wow, those 20 years were awesome. Let's do, let's look for something different for, for the next 20 years. So it's kind of saying goodbye to the old me, trying to welcome in the new me and just trying to make myself relax, chill out a bit, not be so hard on myself all the time. So for example, on this trip in Spain, I deliberately hitchhiked a couple of times. And I've always seen hitchhiking as cheating on a journey because it's just wimpish and lazy. So I've always punished. I've said, no, no, no. So this time I deliberately hitchhike because hitchhiking is fun and you meet interesting people and it's less hard work than walking. So why wouldn't you do it occasionally? So I was do, doing this to try and just soften myself and become a bit less harsh on myself. A, um, a little bit of then, self-care kind of, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. And, and um, it seemed to work really well. It was a very a cathartic, simple month, um, probably helped by the fact that I had a month without the internet a month without music, a month without any books, just me on my own in the hills of Spain was a, a good thing to do. Yeah. How did it feel to be unplugged in that way? And knowing the type of work that you do, you have to probably be in front of the computer a lot with writing and different things. And to just totally unplug in that way, how did that change the, I guess, the dynamic for you? I absolutely loved turning off my email for a month. I yeah. that, really <laughs> enjoyed that. And I said, I put some sort of out of office along the lines of I'm turning this off for a month and I probably won't read it when I get back, <laughs> which completely goes against my personality, which is I must read every email and answer them just in case someone's a Nigerian king and they give me a million dollars. So <laughs> it was forcing myself to relax. Right. Um, so I enjoyed that part, you know, miss not having music for a month is, um, I, I love music, but I also appreciate not having it because then I start yearning for it and think, oh, when I get home, I'm going to listen to this song. So so that's a withdrawal that I can put on myself fairly okay and, and enjoy the missing. The thing I found hardest, which I've never done before, is to not take a reading book. I normally take my trips. I normally pack really, really light, saw my toothbrush in half have no underpants and then take about 10 books with me uh, but th so this time I took no books just because I wanted to have only my diary the uh, Laurie Lee book which I'd read millions of times and just empty time stretching out right which is uh is not normal in this day and age right to have that kind of setup for yourself but to create those parameters for yourself you're creating a sort of container that I think can allow you to have some of the insights that I think it seems like you had by reading this book. And we talk about using travel as a healing tool in a way. I know I've done it for myself personally, sometimes inadvertently, sometimes you know, in a planned way by setting an intention, I suppose. And through conversations like this, I know it's something for other people. Do you think you can only have that type of healing from travel or fixing or whatever you want to say, like maybe some insights or some breakthroughs with your personal life through travel? Or is there another way? Like, do you, do you personally need travel for that perspective or do you think you can get it another way? Well, I, I agree with what you said and I can see how it can help people. But I think in my life, it's done the opposite really in that often I've gone on my adventures because I wanted to prove something to myself or prove something to the world, or I was running away from Britain because it was so boring, or I was always on some sort of trying to prove something to someone kind of mission. And the problem with those sort of things is you go off and do something hard and you get to the end, you think, yeah, and then you come back home and you think, whoa, I'm now exactly back where I started and nothing really has changed. So um, I found uh, the, a lot of the reasons I've gone away traveling have not really particularly helped. And uh, the things that have actually helped me more are trying to teach myself to be happy where I am and to not travel, which isn't the sort of thing we should be talking about in a travel podcast. But I found trying to teach myself to explore close to home, to explore really locally and to appreciate the beauty and the culture really close to home even though where I live isn't the beautiful Himalayas, just trying to appreciate here and home has been much more helpful for me than disappearing off around the world for years. I mean, I think this is the exact thing I wanted to talk about on this podcast, really. And it's one of, maybe one of the most important things that any traveler should recognize is that there's going to be a time where you're not traveling, you might not want to. 
You know, I mean, things change and, and life changes. And I think growing up traveling when you're younger, you don't really realize, you can't look ahead to when I'm in my 40s, this is how I'm going to feel, this is how my life's going to be. You just have no way of knowing. Well, let's talk about this idea of having to prove yourself. I mean, did, did it take all those adventures for you to realize, hey, this is like having to prove myself is not something I want in my life as a mindset? Or is it something that you kind of, started reflecting on and coming to terms with or maybe something in between. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just kind of want to hear how you came to that conclusion. My first big adventure, really big adventure was when I finished university, I set off to try to cycle around the world. And that trip took me four years to do. So I was on the road nonstop without coming home or without seeing my family for over four years. Um, I cycled 46,000 miles through 60 countries on a total budget of $10,000. So it's a long, long journey on a low budget. So it's quite a stressful, exhausting mission, really. Um, and I did it for so many reasons. I did it because I wanted to see the world like young people did. Uh, I wanted to try to become a writer. So I needed to have something to write about. But also, I wanted to just try and do something big and different and extraordinary in my life for the first time. I felt growing up, my, you know, I grew up perfectly happily and normally, but I just felt a bit ordinary and I wanted to my, try and shine a bit. So quite a lot of the motivation when I set off was trying to prove myself to other people, whoever these people might be. Uh, and I and I realized that drove me for about a year. So till I was pretty much at the end of Africa, by the time I got to the end of Africa, I was kind of done with proving myself to other people. And then I noticed the second year of the ride, which is up roughly through South America, that was very much proving myself to myself, seeing can I stick this out? Can I handle it? Can I do this hard thing? Am I capable of this or am I going to be a quitter? So there was about a second year of that. And after two years, I kind of felt, oh, I've, I've done all right. I've proved whatever I need to prove to myself. So then year three and four could be just actually for the journey themselves. But it, so it took a while to get it out of my system. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, so it kind of happened on the cycle tour where you felt yes. like you settled into it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, but, so, when, so then when I got back from that and I started doing other expeditions like uh, crossing Iceland and going up to the Arctic and Greenland, that was very much just because by then I thought, wow, this is awesome. I love being in the wilderness. I love doing hard stuff in wild places. Uh, it's really exciting. It's really thrilling. And gradually I'm starting to make this my job. So this is just exactly what I want to be doing with my life. Yeah. Is there anything you do personally to practice gratitude or just set yourself up for a good day? I've been dabbling with all sorts of different things in recent years. I've been doing quite a bit of meditating um, just so that I look cool on Instagram. Um, I uh, no, so I, I've, I've actually really enjoyed using the Headspace app for a, a year or two. Uh, I've got on my desk here, I have... This I got from Tim Ferriss' idea. It's called A Jar of Awesome. And every day, every couple of days, whenever I'm in my shed and something good happens, I just write down the note, shove it in this money box. And I never see these things, but just knowing that this is full of things I've liked. So it's things like, oh, um, the sunrise, I love work, the sunrise, or it's great when the rain's rattling on your window and you're drinking a cup of tea. So thing, just trying to appreciate small things. Uh, but the, the things that really help me generally in life are uh, doing a lot of exercise and uh, swimming outdoors, so swimming in rivers. And recently, my big thing is climbing trees. So the first of every month now, uh, my calendar, my Google calendar pings up saying, go climb a tree. So I've scheduled tree climb the first <laughs> day awesome. of every month. And that, um, that has been such a good habit to start to build for a couple of reasons. One is it forces me, however busy I am, to just walk away from my computer, go climb a nearby tree. I climb the same one every time. So you notice then the seasons changing and you notice the flowers and the leaves. You notice the beauty near where I am. But also it's a chance to think, wow, what's happened in the last month since I've been here? And to think a little bit of, oh, I wonder what the next month will be like. And then I come back down the tree, get back on with work and uh, carry on with the next month. So I'm really, really enjoying my monthly tree climbs at the moment. Let's talk a little bit more about the trip because you spent a month in Spain walking and a lot of things happened. You have to read the book to find out all the things that happened. I really do highly suggest you read it. Again, I'm, I mentioned the title here, My Midsummer Morning, Rediscovering Life Adventure. Great book. 
what were some of the standout experiences for you in terms of kindness? You mentioned kindness on the road. And I think that's something that no matter how many times I experience it, it always blows me away. Even though you know it's going to happen when you have that faith in humanity. You're like, oh, I know people are going to do nice things, but you don't know exactly what they're going to be and when they're going to happen. And it's just, there's such beautiful moments. So I wanted to hear uh, maybe one or two that kind of stuck with you. Well, I suppose the the biggest one was a guy who invited me to his house for the night. And uh, I hadn't had a shower for weeks at this point. So he took me back to his house and he lived with his mum. And his mum was horrified that unannounced he'd invited this stinking english guy to her house and she of course being a mom said oh my house is so dirty why didn't you tell me she was really embarrassed and i say no no relax it's lovely thank you for inviting me i'm so glad to be here i haven't had a shower for a month and at that point she looked at her son like who is this guy is this guy safe to have in our house so they were incredibly kind they welcomed me into their home fed me up and sent me back out feeling very refreshed um but i think more often it's the very tiny little gifts like I remember one day a lady um just passed by and gave me a peach and when you have very little money I mean to buy a peach for me was a big decision of a day uh, they cost I can remember 45 cents I wow that's usually maybe a quarter of my budget or you know I, I can I justify this so for a lady just to give one to me was so kind and I remember thinking rather than just gobbling it down like I might do back home I walked with it for ages feeling that soft skin and smelling it and just trying to resist for as long as I could just to really stretch out the kindness and the anticipation so tiny things like that make a big difference when you're lonely on the road yeah there's some incredible stories in the book of uh just interesting characters and all the types of people that you meet when you do a trip like this Uh, how has this changed your relationship to music you mentioned loving music and learning an instrument and then going out and playing in front of people for a month and having that whole experience. Has this changed your relationship to the music listen to now? It certainly made me appreciative of buskers. So when I see a busker now, I at the very least give them eye contact and a smile. If I have a coin, I will always give them to them. Um, it makes me wish I was good at music because I'm really, really bad. And even just playing my terrible little tunes and someone gives you a coin was such a joy and a thrill. And I would love, love, love to play the violin really well. I mean, that would be a magical thing. But I've realized just quite how much work it takes. So I, I, I think I just have to appreciate listening to it more. I do, however, I can, however, now call myself a professional musician and I've, I've retired now from professional violining. Uh, and I thought, like Elvis, um, I, did a, uh, I did a gig in Vegas. <laughs> I, I, I was in Vegas to do a talk at some uh, software conference or something in the Bellagio, this big fancy hotel to a thousand people. I thought, this is my chance to do a gig. So I played to a thousand people and I got $3 in tips. <laughs> so I've, I've played Vegas now. So I think that's the pinnacle of my musical career. Nice, man. I was hoping that you'd do a little rendition of Thunder Road for us. I thought maybe... You could kind of pull it off. I don't know. I I can show you the sheet music. Okay, there it is. Right there. Thunder Road. Darn. The excuse I have is I don't have the violin in my shed. Have you stopped playing now? Are you done with it? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I'm a, I worked, I really enjoyed the seven months of practice. So I practiced every single day for seven months. So only missed one day. Uh, and I had an hour's lesson every single week. And I really enjoyed that process of working hard and getting better. But, you know, it kind of sucks being 40 and playing Bar Bar Black Sheep. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I've, I've, I've lost. I don't have the interest to carry on playing the violin just in itself. Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, it sounds like you might have had your fill <laughs> if you will you can always pick up a guitar a hard, or something you know something yeah well that's the the violin such a ridiculously hard instrument i kept cursing laurie lee why didn't you use a ukulele or something right. that's easy <laughs> a violin is so hard yeah you should have played a kazoo or something yes it would have yeah, been yeah. much better yeah the violin seems like an impossible instrument to me and i have two good friends that learned the violin when they were younger and of course they know music by ear they can sing any note that you tell them. It's just like, it's part of the process, I think, of learning the violin because there's no 
There's no reference points on the violin. So you need don't yet you need to be able to hear it to understand where you put your fingers. It's kind of um mind blowing when you hear somebody play the violin professionally. Well, you're a professional musician, like you said. <laughs> but, um like in an orchestra or something, you're like, How is that how are they even doing that? Oh, it's a beautiful when played well, it is a beautiful, beautiful sound. But when played <laughs> badly, it is a hideous sound. <laughs> so uh coming home from this trip. How did you see things differently? Like, did do you think you were seeing things differently than when you left? Or was there a big dramatic change right away? Or was it kind of like, hey, it's the new me, and now I'm kind of just settling back in, and then I kind of got back to normalcy? Are you still feeling the residual effects of this trip? Um, well, first of all, I think I will always feel the lure and the pull of the open roads. Um, I fully intend once my kids have left school and gone off to university that I will hit the roads. Uh, so uh, I think, yeah, definitely have that in me. However, I still I did come back from Spain genuinely calmer and more at peace and feeling I'd I was able to just move into this new phase of life. So just micro adventures, climbing trees, writing books. This is me for the coming years, um, and also feeling able and happy and willing to talk about these sort of things whereas before I felt such a fraud um that n- not doing proper adventure so to speak that I found that really frustrating so I d- it definitely um I, it would be trite to say that the trip changed me I was in the process of growing up and changing anyway but it certainly it was certainly a big stepping stone and a, I think it's a pivotal moment for me I'm certainly in a still still happy with life now now that I'm back. I have learned belatedly that there are lots of ways to live adventurously. And I feel now that rather than striving for one great adventure of a lifetime, I'm now focusing on trying to have a lifetime of living adventurously a little bit in different ways every day. And that's that uh, seems to be a much better place to be, I think. I think it's a pretty big adventure to write a book like this that's so personal, and it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, did you know when you were going to come back and write a book that it was going to be personal in this way, or did it just start coming out of you as you started writing it? No, not at all. I mean, you, you've seen the little film that I made, and that's not that's just Happy Al going off having a silly adventure, which is pretty much what my, my online persona has been for the last 20 years. Uh, and there's always been in my uh, adventure and work life a total separation between adventure work versus home life and family and reality I've always completely and fundamentally separated those two as I did in the film and the thing with the film is you can't retrospectively edit anything in so I came home and I wrote a book which was essentially the like the little film you saw which is happy Al goes off has a fun little adventure and my publisher said to me no, this book's a bit rubbish because nothing really happened. You know, I just had a nice little time and and uh, I needed to put more into the book. And the second thing was that I was starting to feel really guilty about this kind of almost double life I was leading that on the internet, I seem like this free spirit having amazing adventures. Whereas I know that a lot of people who read my stuff are parents who or they who are struggling because they can't go and do adventures or it's people who are busy with work and don't have time for adventures or people who can't afford to have adventures so there's a lot of people struggling to live as adventurously as they would like and yeah on the internet I was portraying this blissful life of perfect adventure so I just thought man come on just write write the reality that might be helpful and useful for some other people going through real life um and uh, it'll get the weight off my own shoulders and it'll make the book better. So then I just thought, well, like anything I do, I just thought once I'm in, I might as well go all in and really commit commit to writing that way. And does it feel like a big relief, like a big weight off of, of your shoulders to kind of put it all out there in this way? Oh, yeah, it's great. It's well, it's basically exactly like playing the violin in Spain. You st- you you think you're worried, you're nervous. What will people think? You You feel sort of embarrassed and ashamed and then when you stand up with your violin and just say to the world here i am i'm really bad at this but i'm just gonna give it my best shot it's great the world responds and i had a wonderful trip and the same experience comes with just 
talking honestly about life, which is something that I think a lot of people, a lot of men um, struggle with at times. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really beautiful book, man. I really appreciate uh, what you put into it and certainly a comfort to me. And I think any other travelers who read this, I think can relate to the idea of whether you're a family person or yeah, everybody has their, I mean, you use the word double life, but I mean, it's like, yeah, anytime you come home from traveling and you settle back in, it, it almost is like another life, right? And to know, hey, this person, like you said, you shared things in a way that I think will resonate with a lot of people and also give them comfort in the sense that, hey, I'm not alone. There's other people that feel can feel this way and struggle with these things even people that have such grand adventures like Alistair. So um, I think you've done like a really awesome thing here, man. And I want to thank you for it. Well, thank you. Thank you for reading the book so quickly. And uh, yeah, thank, thanks for interviewing me. I've enjoyed it. You ask good questions. Thanks. So that's the ultimate compliment for an interviewer. <laughs> um, and not only did I read it, Alistair, but I did it while being the primary caretaker of a 10-month-old. So oh, that, you're such that, a, a modern that man. was an adventure. <laughs> a modern man. I suppose you I suppose you think your, your wife should give you a medal for this. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I read I a book and I looked after a baby for a day. That's what, I that hope a medal. she ordered it already because if she didn't, I'm going to be furious. Uh, <laughs> uh, check out the book. We'll leave links, of course, in the show notes. Again, it's My Midsummer Morning, Rediscovering a Life of Adventure. And um, you can also go to Alistair's website, alistairhumphreys.com, uh, which we'll leave in the show notes as well. Um, always a pleasure, my man. Let's uh, hopefully not wait another four years. Maybe if you're coming through in Norway sometime, we can do this over a beer or something. Oh, a very expensive beer. That would be great. Very Thank you very much. $15 beer that will take a lot of violin playing, days of violin playing to get. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks very much. There you have it. Alistair Humphreys, thank you so much for stopping by the show again and sharing your perspectives. And I really, truly did love this book. And you can get it on pre-order now at the time that this publishes. So go ahead and do that. And I want to give a shout out to one of you fine, beautiful souls out there in the listening community, Cody. Cody wrote and said, hey, I just want to thank you for all you do. Prior to launching a business with my wife, I listened to your podcast for inspiration. At the beginning of 2019, we handed our keys back to our landlord in Seattle and started traveling. We launched a social media marketing company. It's been amazing. We have an 11-year-old daughter who we put into online school and she travels with us. And next, they are headed to Belize for a month. So safe travels and thanks for taking the time to write and listen to the show. Very much appreciate that. Now, I've got to leave you with a quote from Alistair. This is from his book. He said, Every journey, every change in direction begins with one tiny deed, quick to revoke and easy to forget, an action so devoid of binding consequence that there is no reason not to take it, no reason except inertia and fear. The hardest part of every adventure is this one moment, small yet significant. It is the decision to begin, to get moving, to push back the boundaries of your normality, perhaps even to turn your whole life around. Thanks again for swinging by the podcast. I appreciate your time and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.